Hey guys, this is the Mosaic Podcast and I want to welcome you. But I want to let you know that MSC just released a new album called Heaven. Seven brand new songs that express the heart of our community, our heart of worship, and are going to absolutely inspire you and make an impact on your life. Mosaic MSC, Heaven. So if you're new, we've been walking through the material and chasing daylight. And each week we've been taking a chapter and taking a concept and diving in. And we've been basically looking at an overarching framework for life. How there's some people who just seem to know how to step into a moment. They they seem to take those moments that look so mundane and find so many possibilities and opportunities. And one of the strange things in life is that two people can be in the same moment and come out with such different momentum in life. But a lot of times, I think the challenge is that we're looking for the wrong things in those moments. We think that those moments are made significant by what we have or by the, the potential wealth or power or fame or success or maybe just, just stuff. But one of the things we underestimate is that the most powerful force in the world are human relationships. And there's no material more valuable than the human material. And those moments that will define your life, those defining moments, those divine moments, those moments that are waiting for you to seize them, the most significant resource in those moments are going to be the people you share them with. It was a few Christmases ago, and and there was a lot of joy in that Christmas. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. And, and in fact, I even love old Christmas songs. I love old Christmas movies. I, I'm that guy. I love It's a Wonderful Life. I, I love Grinch, both the old and the new version. I, I, you know, I, I used to watch the Christmas Carol in every single version. And, 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 and we would use the themes like joy to the world here. But one year, we just were just so full of joy, but not the kind that you think. Because, you see, we have a person on our team named Joy. And Joy is just a tiny little human. She's really, really, to call her short would be a compliment of height. And, <laughs> and so you would underestimate her capacity to affect so many people. But, but Joy got really sick. She had a strain of the flu that was just absolutely brutal and relentless. But Joy is so determined to work. She's one of those workaholics who shows up at work. And she would come to work during Christmas season so sick. And of course, we're a hugging culture. We're really just, you know, we're like family. So we're all hugging each other and we're hugging Joy. And she's sharing with her what's with us, what's inside of her. And I started watching staff person after staff person start dropping like flies. And we didn't know where it came from. The flu just came at us. And, and before I knew, I mean, I was trying to avoid everyone. Hey, I love you. Stay where you are. Do not enter the room. High five, whatever, from a distance. And, but eventually it caught up to me, captured my family. And it was one of those flus. I don't know if you ever had one of those times where everyone that you know gets sick. And then everyone's been sick. Do so you think finally it's over? It cycled back a second time. And everyone went back around. And I was so upset about it that we had to trace it back, like CSI, influenza. And we traced it all back to joy. She should have been giving us joy. She was giving us the flu. And that's what I want to talk to you about for a few moments. I want to talk to you about influence. Because if you look at the word influence, right in the middle of the word influence is the word flu. And strangely enough, but not a coincidence, the same word for influence is the same etymology for the word influenza. You can leave now when you've learned something, but you won't know what to do with it. See, what we need to realize is that, that just like the flu, it passes from one person to another unseen and unexpected and undetected until after the effects of that influence passes on. Influence travels from one person to another in the unseen. It's undetected. In fact, you cannot measure it until you see the impact on another human being. 
That's one of the best ways, by the way, you can know who a person is. I don't even really need to interview a person. If I could just interview the four or five people closest to you, I'll know everything about you I need to know. Because that, that handful of people who are in closest proximity to you are the ones who most reflect who you are. And I, I can check what kind of flu you're passing on. Humans are designed in the most unusual of ways. We're designed to be influenced and to influence. Everyone, take a moment and breathe. That's so strange. You actually started breathing. As if you were not breathing right before I told you to breathe. (laughs) You were breathing right before. You might have interrupted your natural breathing to take a breath in unison. He said, breathe. How come no one said, I'm already breathing? It's because breathing is so natural to you, you're not even aware that you're breathing. You're inhaling and exhaling every moment of your life. You're inhaling and exhaling when you're asleep. You don't even need to be conscious to breathe. It's the same way with influence. You may not even be aware of the impact you're making on other people's lives until you see the impact on their lives. And then once you see the impact on someone else's life, you may not want responsibility for the influence you've had. Because you can say, that's not on me. It was their choice. They just did what they were going to do. I don't have anything to do with that. And even if your hands are off, your influence may be on. So we've been journeying together through this moment in the life of Saul and Jonathan, a king and a prince. We've been looking together at this moment where the nation of Israel is at war with the Philistines and they were faced with an overwhelming dilemma. They were to go to war against a nation that wanted to destroy them. They had no choice. There was no negotiation for peace, only surrender. And they were outnumbered 10,000 to one and they only had two swords and the Philistines had horses and chariots. Weapons and seasoned warriors. And there's no way in the world Israel is going to end up ahead if they engage this battle. So Saul decides to avoid it. Jonathan decides to enter into it. He picks a fight. And in the middle of that moment, all of Saul and his men are asleep. Jonathan wakes up one person, his armor bearer. And he says, come on, let's go. Let's pick a fight. And we'll pick up here. In verse 6 of 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan says to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And this is the, the part I want us to focus in on, is how the armor bearer responds. He says, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I'm so impacted by that response because I know how rare it is to have someone in your life who even if they don't understand what you're doing and even if they don't get your idea and even if they don't think you have a chance to succeed, look at you and say, let's go ahead, let's go, let's do this because I'm with you, heart and soul. I'm convinced all of us are looking for someone who would commit their lives to us and say, I'm with you. If everyone else walks, I'll be standing at your side. But, but this response is, is actually unexpected. See, his armor bearer was obligated to obey Jonathan. He had the worst job in the world. He has to carry Jonathan's armor and Jonathan's sword as long as there's no danger. And in the moment there's danger, he has to give up the armor and give up the sword and be completely exposed to that danger. Do you know the level of courage it takes to be the armor bearer who's never named? To know that that you're going to be standing as close to the battle line as the most fierce warrior, but you will be unprotected and unable to engage in that battle. I can understand the armor bearer waking up in the middle of the night and hearing Jonathan's voice and Jonathan commanding him, let's go. See, Jonathan doesn't need to explain anything to him. He's obligated to go. He's required to go. It's his... Role in life to follow Jonathan. But he doesn't just say, 
Whatever is your command. Whatever is your command. He says, I'm with you, heart and soul. You know what I've learned over a lifetime is that command is the lowest form of authority. It's the lowest form of leadership. It's the lowest form of power. If you have to command someone, it's because you cannot influence them. And you've had that maybe in your life. You've had people who have had authority over you and they've commanded you. And you did what they told you, but you didn't want to. And because you didn't want to, you didn't do it at the highest level of your capacity or ability. In fact, the whole dynamic of passive resistance comes from a person who feels powerless and feels obligated to do something they've been commanded to do. So I have to do what you told me to do, but I don't have to do it well. So I'm going to resist by doing it poorly. See, I think there are so many of us who think that God's only approach toward leading us is command. In fact, that's why so many times when people speak on God's behalf, it's all about command and obedience. Because people are convinced, if you don't understand it's a command, and if you don't obey, this isn't going to work. But I've discovered in my life that, that just like with us, command is the lowest approach toward leadership. That when God commands, it's because everything else has failed. The God's preferred approach toward leading you is not command, it's influence. See, God doesn't want to win simply your response. He wants to win your heart. He wants to hear you say, I'm with you, heart and soul. I don't have to do it. I don't feel obligated to do it. I'm not afraid to not do it. I'm with you, heart and soul. I also find that it's so oftentimes we put way too much weight on positional authority and and way too little on relational influence. That, that, that's the problem with parenting. Because when you're a parent, sometimes you just go with authority, positional authority, or every source of power. I'm bigger than you. I'm faster than you. I can hunt you down. You will do what I tell you. No parent does that, right? See, it, it, it's that last... That last phase of exhaustion, because I told you to. And that has been, from my experience, the translation of everything in the scriptures. You don't need to understand what God's doing. You don't need to understand how God's doing it. You don't need to understand why God does it. You just need to do it because he said it. And so it's as if we're three-year-old children who are incapable of understanding the why of life. So just do the what. But God doesn't treat you like that. And that's why so many parents are so brokenhearted. Because all they used was command and authority. They didn't use relationship and influence. And so the moment they were no longer afraid, the, no, the moment they were no longer under their authority, the, the moment they were no longer fearful of their power, they went a different way. And then so many parents go, what happened to my kid? They're like, you happened. And they moved to what they were given to, heart and soul. It just wasn't you. There is a power in influence that is so underestimated, but influence works in two dynamics. You breathe in and you breathe out. You breathe in and you breathe out. You're designed to inhale and to exhale. So you need to step back and ask yourself, what am I breathing in? What's influencing me? What, what, what am I absorbing into my soul? What's shaping me? What's informing me and forming me? But at the same time, you need to ask yourself, and also, what am I breathing out? What's inside of me that I'm giving the world? What's inside of me that I'm passing on to someone else? Because whatever you have inside of me, inside of you, is what you're giving to the world around you. And here's the terrifying thing. You may be giving things you don't even want inside of yourself to the people you care about the most. So you don't want that bitterness inside of you, but you're passing it on. You don't want that anger inside of you, but you're passing it on. You don't want that greed inside of you, but you're passing it on. One of the most, I think, terrifying things in the world is to realize that whatever is inside of you is the only thing you can pass on to someone else. But 
if that's true, so can the other be. See, if, if what is inside of you can pass on to someone else, then breathe in the things you want to breathe out. Inhale the things you want to exhale. Oh, and by the way, you might say, well, I just want to breathe in. I don't want to breathe out. I, I, I want God to influence me, but I don't really want any responsibility for influencing anybody else. Just try something for a minute. Just do half of breathing. Everybody just inhale. Right, I just take a deep breath. In fact, let's use it as a metaphor. Take a deep breath, and this is everything God wants to give you. This is all the joy that God wants to give you, all the forgiveness God wants to give you, all, all the, 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 the intention God wants to give you, all the compassion God wants to give you. Are you still breathing, holding that breath? See, you've breathed in all the hope he has for you right now. Just hold it in. Don't exhale. See, what, what, I think the problem is for a lot of us is we don't understand that there's two sides. Exhale. <laughs> I know there's some people, they, they really follow rules. <laughs> when I grew up in Miami, we, when we came over from El Salvador. Now, in El Salvador, I remember taking swimming lessons. We had some swimming lessons, and, and I, 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 I was all into the backstroke because in the backstroke, I didn't have to put my face in the water. So I could... I could swim fast backstroke, better than other people could freestyle. But when we moved to Miami, a part of our ed- education as in elementary school was swimming lessons. That's a part of being in Miami. And, and we were certified all the different levels along the way. And I worked my way all the way up to the level of, of lifeguard, faking it. I never learned how to breathe while I was swimming. I, I would do all those laps Pretending I was swimming. I would go through the motions. I would lift my head out, swim, stroke, lift my head out, pretend I was inhaling, but I, I couldn't breathe. But they would watch me and I, I had all the right form, but none of the reality. Sounds like a lot of people's religion. Because I couldn't inhale that which would give me life. I would just do, go through the motions and fake it all the way. I developed immense lung capacity. Because I could hold my breath the entire length of the pool, Olympic size, make the turn, swim all the way back. I became great at diving, but not swimming. Because they gave me incomplete instructions. There's something that doesn't work right in my brain. I, I, I cannot understand instructions well. And all my life people thought it was because I was belligerent or unteachable. or Not that those things are not true. It's just that... <laughs> I couldn't understand simple instructions that other people understood easily. And so when they would teach me to swim, they would say, look, take a stroke, two strokes, turn your head to whichever side you'd like, right? And then just inhale. Then put your face back in the water, take a few strokes, then put your head out, and then inhale. So it's really simple. Just breathe when you pull your head out of the water. But that's not true. It doesn't work like that. That's only a part of the instruction because every time I would start swimming, I would take a few strokes and then I'd go, and I could get a little oxygen in, but not much came in. And I'd take a few more strokes and I'd go, and next time it was even harder. And then I'd take a few more strokes and nothing would come in. Because they never told me there are two sides to breathing. You cannot inhale if you refuse to exhale. I wish someone had explained to me, maybe with bubbles. See, when you put your face in the water, exhale. Because everyone knows that humans cannot breathe underwater. But you can. You can do half of breathing under the water. You can exhale. In fact, if you don't exhale under the water, you will not inhale when you're out of the water. So I spent my life swimming with a very, very clear strategy. Try to breathe when you come up. Hold your breath while you're inside. How was that oxygen ever supposed to get out of my system? In fact, it was impossible. See, there's some of you, you cannot figure out why your life doesn't have the dynamic of seizing divine moments. You cannot figure out why your moments just remain mundane. 
You cannot figure this thing out. Why doesn't God use me in a greater way? And I'm telling you, it might just be that all you're doing is inhaling. And so you're here, and I'm glad you're here, and you're inhaling. And you're inhaling faith, and, and I, I hope you're inhaling hope. I hope you're inhaling inspiration and some courage, because all of us need to inhale, don't we? In fact, just two weeks ago, when I was in Australia, a man came up to me and said, my wife, she came to, to the gathering, she came to the experience, and when you were speaking, she looked at me and she said, I've been suffocating, I feel like for the first time I can breathe. See, I think that's what these moments are all about, is inhaling hope and joy and meaning and purpose and intention. It's inhaling that your life matters. It's inhaling your significance. It's inhaling the life that only Jesus can give you. So breathe deep and inhale. But the reason it's not working is because the moment you step out of here, you hold your breath. And you're so afraid of real life that you don't realize that the only way life happens is if you inhale what you need and then you exhale what the world needs you to give. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. This was a reflection not just of who the armor bearer was, it was a reflection of who Jonathan was. It's, it's a language we don't use very much. You see, what he was demonstrating was loyalty and trust. And I know that we live in a culture where loyalty just isn't that valued. We just, I remember one time I talked about loyalty and somebody said, no, dogs are loyal. Humans don't need to be loyal. That's why so many people are preferring dogs to humans. Because we've just concluded that humans cannot be loyal. So why don't you just get a dog? Because at least your dog will love you. At least your dog will be loyal. At least your dog will be there because you feed your dog. It's been a challenge. We've been here in LA 30 years and I cannot tell you how many times my wife Kim and I have heard, we're with you, we're with you, we're with you for life. We're with you for life. We're with you for life. And then we realized life meant something different than we thought. And it's come to times where, where Kim has just felt so much pain, so much betrayal, where she's like, I just, I just don't want to trust anyone anymore. I just don't want to, I don't want to believe. I, I just want to change my mind about people. They're, all people are just passing through. And, and I know, and I, I've told her, honey, sometimes we, we are what I would call seasonal friends. You know, people, you ever been a seasonal friend? You know, you thought you were a, a life friend, but you were a season. Because... Someone needed you in a season. And I think you ought to just accept the fact that you were a gift to them in that season. Don't get bitter. Don't get angry. Just be glad that you were a part of that season in their life. And have you had people in your life for a season? Maybe they passed through or maybe you passed through, but they were there at just the right season that you needed them in your life. And so I think we should celebrate the fact that we get to pass through each other's lives and seasons. But that cannot be all there is. There has to come a point in our life, a place in our life, a people in our life that we give our heart and soul to. And say, I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm all in with you. It's one of the great challenges we have even as a community here. It's always interesting to me how when people come and talk to me, sometimes the first thing they'll say, I love Mosaic. And I come here all the time and I listen to the podcast. And then they go, but I also go like to, and they'll name like three or four other churches. I learn about all the churches in LA from people who come here all the time. And they'll start talking about that pastor and that church. And, and I, oh, when were you there? And they're like, oh yeah, this morning and, 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 and Thursday and then Wednesday. And, and I'm here today. And they just think it's so exciting. Oh, yeah, I just, I just want to get some of everything. You're on a respirator. You're not breathing properly. What you're, you're doing is you're just inhaling, but you're not exhaling. And, and one of the challenges is that the way God moves most powerfully in your life is in relationship to others. And, and if you're seated in the room, that makes you a part of an audience, but not a part of a tribe. It doesn't make you a part of a movement. It's when you're connected together. It's when you give your lives to each other. It's when you say, you know, I don't care if we succeed or fail. I care if we do it together. 
There's just something powerful when, when you know that you don't have to always get it right for people to be in your life. That's why I've, I, I, I've just had so many people I've known over the years. Some of them millionaires, some of them billionaires, some of them so famous, you would know instantly who they were if I told you their names. And, and when I was meeting with them, they had lost all their wealth. Their fame was now in the past. Their celebrity had diminished. And they were meeting with me because they didn't have a single person in their life. But when they were at the top of their game, you couldn't get a room big enough for all their friends. Their entourage was immense. People would show up for them all the time. It was only when they lost everything that they lost everyone and they realized that they had no one when they had everything. So maybe one of the things I just hope for you is that you have just a little season in your life where you lose everything. You just need a little season. I don't want it to be too long. But you need to have a season long enough where, where no one thinks you've, you have something they want. Where no one can use you, where no one can, can get, be around you because they want to glean off of the benefit of your life and your existence. See, I think one of the best things that happens in the world is when you fail so bad, you're trapped under the rubble of that failure because those are the moments you will discover who you need to do life with. And until you have those moments, you may never be sure. One of the, one of the greatest challenges when you have so much success and so much fame and so much wealth early is you just don't really know who's with you. And you're always wondering, does anyone care about me? Is anyone really here for me? Is anyone with me, heart and soul? And I can't fix the other part of it. See, I, I have nothing I can tell you about making sure you have someone in your life that's for you, heart and soul. But I have so much I can tell you about you being someone in someone else's life, heart and soul. See, I think we all want that person, but we don't want to be that person. But maybe it begins when we become that person. So who are the people around you? What are you breathing into their life? You see, if you're filled with bitterness, you're going to be passing on bitterness. If you're filled with anger, you're going to be passing on anger. If you're filled with, 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 with doubt and despair, you're going to be passing on doubt and despair. That's going to be your stray into the flu. And whether you have just a little bit of influence or an immense amount of influence, what are the people who are influenced by you doing with their lives? Because then you'll know the virus you're spreading. If people are around you and they're full of hope, if people are around you and they're filled with joy, if people are around you and they find meaning in their life, if people are around you and they become resilient, you can know what I have inside of me is actually creating a greater humanity, a better humanity. But what I think is interesting with Jonathan he didn't have any power. He just had a little bit of influence. He only woke up one person. Wouldn't you think a person who was a prince, who only had enough influence to wake up one person and say, come with me? That's not a lot of influence. So maybe you're here and you're like, I don't really have any influence. I don't even know if I have one person. I think you probably do. You just don't even know. But let's just say you only have one or two. You know what... what, What's funny is that when I was sharing with you guys in the past about my journey with the Los Angeles Football Club, and I mean, I love sports. I do. For my birthday, Mariah and Jake gave me tickets to the last night's Laker game against Houston. It was amazing to be at an NBA game and an MMA and fight at the same time. And uh, I had two sports on the same night from one ticket. It was like a doubleheader. And so I, I love sports. My family knows I do. And, but when, when, when LAFC first emerged, I didn't even know that they were a soccer team. I just saw the branding on Instagram. I thought, this is really good branding. Because I come from a world of fashion and marketing and branding and film and storytelling. And I thought, this is really good. I don't know who they are, but they're really on point. It feels LA. And so I started following them. And then I realized, oh, they're a soccer club. And then I realized, oh, it's going to be a professional soccer club here in the city. And they were doing all these layers of things that I thought were so interesting. And so I made a decision. I'm going to try to to get at the epicenter of that community and see if I can influence 
anyone there in the direction of Jesus. I'm just going to try. All you can do is try, right? And so I met Addie, who was in Mosaic Venice, and she worked for LAFC, and, and I started talking to her, and, and I said, oh, I'm a huge soccer fan, I'm a huge football fan, and I'm a huge LAFC fan now. I, I, and uh, I want to I get tickets, and I want to get seats. I, say, I want seats in the owner's box. I don't care how much they cost. I want them in the owner's box, and that didn't happen. And, and so then she goes, I'm sorry, I couldn't get you in there. And how about the next level? No, can't get you there. And how about the next level? Can't get you there. How about that? No, not, not that level. And so I didn't get into any of the levels. But I tried. See, it's okay to try and fail. I gave it my best shot. And, and, and so then there were seats in the commoner section. That's it. That's where I'm going. I'm going with the commoners. I'm going right there. Good seats. I got four of them because I thought, all right, if I can't get over there. I'm going to get four seats, and each time I'm going to invite two people and just build into people's lives, just influence people. Bring them into a great experience, try to share life, do life together. Because you have to start where you are. And you can't spend your whole life going, oh, why can't I influence up? Why can't I have more authority? Why can't I have more power? Why can't I change this? Why can't I change that? It's because you're not changing anything. So stop looking up and, and, and feeling sorry for yourself that you don't have that much influence. Just... Just get the seat that you got and invite someone into your life and say, let's share this together. Let's do this together. And one day I invited this couple that came with us and I didn't know that they were sitting in my section for them that was like slumming it because they normally sit with the owners. I didn't know that. They came to the game with me and the whole time I felt like they're not really like enjoying it as much as I thought they would. And you say, I said, there's great food over here. We can get like some blood barbecue and like, yeah. There's really great food over in like the director's box. I go, yeah, I'm not in the director's box. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> you know, I'm below the line. And uh, I'm with the crew. This is the crew. And, and, and they're like, well, you know, do you want us to try to get you in? I said, no, no, I'm good here. This is, these are great seats. And, and then a little while ago, well, you know, we can probably get you in and, and we could go watch it from there. No, I love, I love this view. And, and every few minutes, they, they try to talk me into it. And, and I realized I was doing something. I, 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 had, I had two years before I said, God, I, want to just, I just want to get in that room one time and see what you might be able to do. And now I was being invited. I'm like, yeah, no thanks. I'm good. You know why? I wasn't ready. You know, I have to get ready for that moment. Because you want those divine moments. You want those defining moments. You want those epic moments that you can talk about and say, can you believe it happened? But it needs to let you know. And it's coming because I, I don't think I was dressed right. I wasn't like psychologically ready. I wasn't, I wasn't ready. I wasn't in the zone to go up there. And so they text one of the owners they know, and of course, and they thought they were there with their kids. I guess that night I was their kids. <laughs> we were their kids. And, and the owner said, yeah, come on up. And they thought they were inviting their family up. So I'm going up. And when we get up there, the person who invited us up had been reading one of my books. And she was more excited to meet me than I was excited to be in the box. I mean, to meet her. And, uh, and, and to be a part of the whole experience, I was excited to meet her, but I have to admit, I was like, I'm, I'm going into the box. Right? Yeah, I'm human. And, and then with just that moment being there, they were so kind and so gracious. And, and she said, you know, I, try, I told her, I tried to get in here, but I just couldn't. And and, and I'm so far back in the line. And she goes, well, now you don't have to. Now you, now you know us. And so anytime you want to come in, you just come in as our guest. But I, I've learned something over time. You don't want to position yourself where you're always taking more than you're giving. So even though the invitation was beautiful, I, I've, known, I've learned over the years, don't, don't take advantage of that. But I said, but what you could do, thank you so much for a gracious invitation. But if it ever becomes possible for me to buy season tickets in here, I want to do that. And I admit, in my soul, I was sweating, going, oh, it's going to be so expensive. And, uh, and Kim's going to kill me. And, uh, but it's okay, because I prayed for this two years ago. So I'm just going to believe that, that if it happens, I can make it happen. And, and the next day, I get an email. And like, you want to have seats in this area? Somehow, I'm in the front of the line. And somehow, strangely, seats opened up. And they opened up seats, and I, they said, how many do you want? And I said, I'll take them all. <laughs> I 
Because I thought, I can bring people in there, and, and I can bring influence, and, and we can watch God do something special. And that's where I had the opportunity to meet Peter Goover and hear him describe LAFC as something delicious and sharing that with you guys. And the craziest thing happened. When I shared that here at Mosaic, they took the, po- the podcast and they shared it with all their leadership group. And then they took it and they have this crazy section that's called the what, 3252. And they have their emails and they shared the talk from Mosaic with that entire section. And then they, they did this like promo thing with Jared Butler. I was there when I saw Jared Butler. And I remember him from 300? Yeah. yeah, I know, I know. I look like that. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I have a friend who went to see 300 with his wife, side note. And when, when Jared Butler walked out on the screen, she gasped. She lost her breath. And he told me later, she said, I never knew a man could be so beautiful. I don't know how he felt in that moment, but, but not as a work of art. And, um, and so there he was, and he did like this piece with them. And then the next thing I know, I get an email saying, hey, we've done this piece with Gerard Butler. Uh, we heard your message at Mosaic on Love Built This. And we'd love to, to do a piece with you. And so when I went to the last game, I went down to the field, and I thought, this is insane. And the guy working the camera said, I don't know, you don't remember me, but I used to work with you when you were in the film industry, and I, I, I was on sets, and I go, you need to come to Mosaic. He goes, I will, I will. And, and then I, I went up into the stands, and the first man who, who greeted me, he hugged me. He whispered into my ear. He goes, my brother has been killed, but I want you to know I've just given my heart to Jesus. And I realized that, that I bought two seats but because of two people I put in those two seats, the, the influence spread like a virus. And I've been getting these wonderful emails going, all right, we're going to come to Mosaic. We're going to come to Mosaic. We're going to bring some of our people to Mosaic. And so I, what I want to do is I want to take a moment and just show you this beautiful image of what just taking what you have and then letting God take it further might happen. Because I'm convinced if God can do it with me, he can do it with you. Let's watch. One of the biggest differences in the world was a lot of teams tried to come to L.A., but this team came out of L.A. When I came to LAFC, I felt like this is the soul of our city. Filled with passion, intensity, it, it's diverse, it's beautiful. When I, when I came in here, I thought, I'm home. was built by love. I knew it was built with passion. Right? I'm walking in space and no, love built this. This is a community. This is a family. This is a tribe. What's going on behind me is insane. They are raving fans. That is passion, excitement, zeal, enthusiasm, love is happening right behind me. This is unbelievable. This is LA. It's kind of awesome. But the reason this matters is because for too long, the church has been a place where you inhale when you walk into the building, and then you hold your breath all week long. And then we wonder why God doesn't take us to deep places, why he doesn't do great things in us and through us. And I want you to know that if you're here inhaling, you should only be inhaling because you're going to exhale. There's a moment, there was a moment, the life of Moses. He led the people of Israel out of Egypt. They're supposed to enter the promised land. And so he sent one leader from each tribe to go spy out the land to bring back a report. And this is what happened in Numbers 13, beginning in verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. 
but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, should we go up and take possession? No, we should go up and take possession of the land. We should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him and said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report, like a virus, like a flu. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the giants. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Ten men came back and confirmed that what God had promised was true. There's a land rich with milk and honey. There's a future waiting for us. They actually saw the promise and its potential. But then they saw the obstacles between them and the promise. They saw the danger between them and that moment. And they spread fear like a virus. And so because of them, and because they went against the two, Joshua and Caleb, who came back and said, they're right. It's hard to argue with people who are right. They're right when they say land is rich with milk and honey, that the land is flowing with opportunity. They're right when they say there are giants there. They're right when they say that the enemies that will oppose us are bigger than us. We just need to go do it anyway. We need to step into this moment because this is our moment. And let's seize it. And they were outnumbered 10 to 2. And because the other 10 spread fear and doubt, they spent 40 years wandering in a wilderness rather than 40 years thriving in their promised land. The question comes to mind What kind of report are you bringing the world? What message are you sending out to others? See, when we understand that our principal strength and power is influence, then the first thing we have to do is tend to what's inside of us so that we make sure that what comes out of us is what we want to put into others. There has to come a point where you give up on the bitterness, you give up on the anger, you give up on the jealousy, you give up on the envy, you give up on the greed and avarice, you give up on arrogance and pride. You say, God, I don't want this stuff inside of me. I do not want this to be what I pass on to the world. But then you have to take up what has been entrusted to you. You have to step into every moment of life saying, God, I finally see it. This nuclear potential in this moment, the momentum that's waiting for me, is what I pour into other people. So inhale everything God has for you. Inhale the life that Jesus died for you to have. But stop holding your breath. And start exhaling. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out life. Let me tell you, the moment you start breathing out hope, the moment you start breathing out love, the moment you start exhaling joy, the moment you start exhaling compassion and intention, people are going to come to you and beg, beg, beg for mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Say, would you breathe into me what has been breathed into you? It's so odd in the closing pages of the gospel, I think it was John, Jesus was standing with his disciples talking to them about God's spirit. And then it says in just a subtle little statement, and then Jesus breathed on them. It can be so easily overlooked. Why would Jesus breathe on them? And why would the disciples notice this? A breath is so subtle. 
How could a breath change anything? Except that when Jesus breathes into you, he breathes the life that only God can give. You know an odd thing? When you talk, you have to exhale. You have any friends who just talk? And you say, breathe. (laughs) Just take a breath. See, those friends who don't listen, they lose their breath. Because all they're doing is talking. And you have to say, slow down and breathe. See, your relationship with God, it begins with an exhale, a declaration, Jesus, I give you my life. You cannot confess without exhaling. And the reason we confess is to exhale, to make room for when God breathes into us and we inhale. And there's some of you here right now, and you need Jesus to breathe into your soul his life, his forgiveness, his freedom, his hope, his joy, his meaning, to breathe into you his spirit. So I want to invite you right now to breathe. To inhale the life that Jesus died so you could have. And maybe in this moment, just exhale all the fear, all the doubt. Just exhale all the despair. Exhale all the anxiety. Exhale all the stress. Exhale all the stuff that's killing you. It's just toxic anyway. And just inhale the life that Jesus came to give you. Inhale his forgiveness. Inhale his freedom right now. Would you just bow your heads with me just for a moment? Just close your eyes. Listen to your breath. Listen to your soul. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. If you're here and you're ready to cross that line of faith and to receive the life that Jesus died to give you, I want you right now just to pray this simple prayer, just one sentence. Jesus, I give you my life right now. Just take a deep breath and just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life right now. Just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. And then just breathe deeply because he's breathing into you right now and giving you new life. He's breathing into you right now and setting you free. He's breathing into you right now. His presence is coming to dwell in you. If you're here right now and you just crossed that line of faith and you just whispered this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. And you just inhaled the life that he has for you. If you just received Jesus into your life right now, I want to pray for you. But I want you right now in this moment, see, I can't see you breathe. So I want you right now just to hold your hand up and say, yes, I just prayed that prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Yes, I just gave my life to Jesus. Beautiful. Is that you right now? Just hold your hand up high. I want to see you wherever you are. Beautiful. Come on. Hold it up high. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. This is why we're here. This is a moment where you allow life to take over. You trust Jesus. Beautiful, 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 wonderful. All over the room. So beautiful, so good. Breathe deeply of life right now. Anyone else right now? Anyone else ready to cross that line of faith and just give your life to Jesus? Father, I thank you for these women and men who in this moment have opened their hearts and lives to you, have said to you, I'm with you, heart and soul. God, I am so grateful that you have always been for them, heart and soul, that you have always believed in them. You have always loved them. You have always pursued them. You've always wanted them. And God, I just pray that right now you would just wrap them up in your presence. Let them know that they are now captured by your love that you will never leave them or abandon them, that they belong to you. And God, may they breathe deeply of life 
God, I pray that, that every soul that has been suffocating in this room would now be able to breathe deep and live. May they use what they receive from you to be a gift to others. God, help us to inhale and exhale. Help us to breathe in and to breathe out. I pray, God, that everyone in this room would leave this place with so much life in them that they had to give it away. God, I pray that we would stop holding our breath because we know how to breathe underwater. God, I thank you so much that Jesus came to give his breath for us. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank God for all those who responded to him? So beautiful. So good. Hey, guys. It was a while back. Someone was trying to help a friend get their life together. And they said to me, can you tell them that they need to stop going into the wrong rooms? And I said, really, there are no wrong rooms. They're just wrong people. But when you're the right person, it's always the right room. See, because what they're actually saying, you can applaud that. That's good. And, uh, let me tell you why. See, what they want them to do is stay out of the rooms that influence them. You should have no room that can be a negative influence in your life more than you are a positive influence on their life. See, every time there's a wrong room, it needs to become the right room because you're in the room. So I don't want you to get out of the wrong rooms. I, I want you to get us into the wrong rooms. <laughs> See, I want us going into every room. And if a room is full of brokenness, I want us to bring healing. If the room is full of hatred, I want us to bring love. If the room is full of anger, I want us to bring peace. If the room is full of despair, I want us to bring hope. I want us to breathe. But I don't want us just to inhale. I want us to breathe life everywhere we go. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received. Allow it to go deeply to your soul. To allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic. To go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation. To become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.